Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, everybody. I'm Helen. I'm the owner of Helen's Wines. It's a wine shop located in Los Angeles. Actually, we now have two. They're little gem box wine shops located inside of a restaurant that I own with my business partners, John and Vinny. They also own the wine shop. It's a partnership made in heaven. I love those guys. Shout out John and Vinny. But Helen's Wines, it's in LA, one on Fairfax, one in Brentwood. And this is Wine Face. It's my podcast that is breaking down the ins and outs of wine, decoding it, making it a little more digestible, bringing it down to a pleasant level of understanding, which is what we all want when it comes to these complicated topics. Follow along if you want on my Instagram, at Helen's Wines. Um, today, we are bringing in the Aries vibes, that openness. We sprang forward and now we're kind of like April showers, waiting for the May flowers. Just kidding, we're in LA, so everything's already blooming. But today, a topic that I get asked all the time and I think is really important and super interesting and verifiably complex. What makes some wines cheap and some wines expensive? Or why is wine expensive and why is it cheap? Or what is the deal with what's in a bottle of an expensive wine? I'm sure everyone has wondered but they've never maybe had the boldness to ask. It also feeds into that anxiety you have when you're at the restaurant, you're looking at the wine list, you're like, do I go with the $60 bottle or do I go with a $100 bottle? Is it that much better? I'm gonna be that much more happy? And is it this factor of perceived value versus is there inherent value in the bottle that you're buying? And I think as a wine professional, I see it in a completely different way. I know it's much easier for me to navigate a list and it's much easier for me to dig through the value of what I'm getting in like intrinsically linked to price or not linked to price. But for my sisters and my brothers out there who are just trying to drink dope ass wine and don't have the time to be nervous about why is this expensive bottle of wine better or not better? We're going to talk about it today. The first thing I will say is there is one main reason. I will start this argument with there's one primary factor that inherently makes wine more expensive, and that is terroir. 
And as we've discussed in previous episodes last season, terroir is the concept of the geological soil structure, the topsoil and the subsoil that vineyards sit on. It is millions and millions of years of minerals and soil types and terroir-driven terms like schist and gravelly and loamy soil. And oh my God, does it have limestone? What, what? All these things mean a lot to me and mean a lot to the people I surround myself with, but it's not necessarily something that is transcendent down to the consumer. However, these factors do play a lot into the price of a bottle. Terroir also refers to uh, the weather where the vineyard is, the site of the vineyard, the location, the slope, the orientation, the anglage, so to say, so to speak. So it it has all of this um, cooking in a pot And it's kind of like the concept of umami, which like in Japanese, umami is like seven flavors combining for one ultimate flavor. It's seven or six flavors or something like that. It's like, it's sweet, it's savory, it's fishy, it's seaweed. Anyway, terroir, it also is about the maker. It's about the person making the wine. So if you were going to ask me, simple answer, what makes an expensive wine more expensive? It's about where it's from. And it's about the site specificity of where it's fun. Second runner up to that, what makes wine more expensive is scarcity. So how much of this wine was made? Because a lot of times now with the trends in wine moving in the way that they are, in France specifically, a lot of wines are labeled Vente de France, but yet they're going to cost you retail $60, $75. And you don't know exactly where this is from because it's labeled a Vente de France because that winemaker is deciding to make wine outside of the wine laws, the AOC, the Appellation Origin Controlli. So they're deciding to make wine outside of that sort of rules and regulation zoning committee, which is important and I believe in, but Avant de France is outside that. So it's hard for you to look at a label and be like, how do I determine value based on what's this saying? And when it comes to wines like that, it is about place, except it's not going to be expressed on the label. But it, more importantly, it's about the maker. And then beyond that, it's usually about the scarcity of the product. It's the basic principles and economics of supply and demand. If you limit the supply, you increase the demand, and then you can increase the price of something. Now, that is not to say that I'm being critical of that. I think there's a lot of value in some of these wines. But there are a few times that I've encountered in mi vida that I felt a wine is a little too expensive and that it's a little bit of fanfare around it. More on that in a future episode called Fanfare. So the terroir, right? Let's get back to the roots of what would make a wine more expensive. The terroir especially if it's from one single vineyard. So one site-specific vineyard, one singular set of vines, maybe it's two rows of vines. All of this is wrapping up into a beautiful package that would determine the price. When you go to a place like France or Italy or even parts of Spain, but let's say France and Italy because it's the easiest comparative analysis to draw. You go to France, there's classifications like Premier Cru and Grand Cru, and those are all predetermined by the AOC, the wine, the governing wine laws. And those also dictate price, but they are intrinsically linked not to who's making it or not because they feel like it. Those designations are linked to solely the terroir and the location of those vineyards. So it all leads back to terroir. 
The other thing that can determine price, and I don't really factor this in, but it is true, the vessels that the wines are aged in. And when I say that, when we go back to thinking about how wine is made, right? Pick those grapes, sort the grapes, and then you put them in the container and you crush them and you go through fermentation, right? This isn't anything fancy. Obviously, you could have more fancy equipment. But what I'm talking about when I'm saying the vessels that the wines age in are the long haul aging, where there's a long chill out time that wine takes before it ends up in the bottle and then ultimately on your table. The chill zone, as I like to call it, is a choice of the winemaker. And sometimes the chill zone is in a barrel. Sometimes that chill zone is in a ceramic vessel. Sometimes the chill zone is in stainless steel. You know, it kind of depends on what grape varietal it is, what type of expression that the winemaker wants that grape varietal to have. And also, ultimately, another thing that's really important is what's the ultimate goal for this wine? Is it a Vin de Garde, a wine to age, or is it a Vin de Soif, a wine to drink? All of these are very French terms. Let me give you another example. Price is also dictating a lot of things in the region of Barolo. Barolo is in a part of Piedmont in Italy, just kind of two hours south of Milan, just to give you a geographical reference. And so Barolo is an area The grapes that go into Barolo are always 100% Nebbiolo, but the value of the land in Barolo has increased so dramatically since the communes in Barolo, like the different neighborhoods, because there's different parts of Barolo. Barolo is just the overall area. Um, The different communes have started labeling wine as site-specific, so single vineyard. Whereas up until some point in the 1960s, early 1970s, everything was just labeled generic Barolo. Like, oh, this is Barolo, and you'd need to know which producer. So now that that's happening, the value of the land is driven up. The price of those wines have increased, and so the value of that wine is more. Another sidebar crazy note is that like if you try and sell a vineyard in Barolo right now, it's impossible as an Italian family, unless you're super mega rich, to buy it. Most of the wineries that are buying vineyards that come up for sale need VC funding to afford it. It's in the millions of dollars, which is Bananagrams and amazing, but also crazy and Locomogo. Bananagrams, Locomogo, that's the kind of day we're having today. So the vessels. Then beyond that, there's also the price of the packaging. So when I'm talking about the vessels, there are very varying levels of oak barrels that you can age wine in. There's different sizes. They're made from different woods. They're made in different countries. There's acacia, Slovenian oak, French oak, barrique. I mean, there's all different levels and all of these cost different amounts of money. And so that also goes into price. And then I hate to say it, but sometimes you're straight up just paying for prestige. Sometimes you could close your eyes take a sip of one wine, take a sip of the other wine, and one of them is going to be five times as much as the other because of the prestige of the winemaker, the reputation. Now, I'm not saying I agree with that, but it dems the breaks. That's the reality. There's an interesting thing that happened back in the 1970s. A lot of interesting things happened around that time in wine. One, there was like 
Austrian wine. They found formaldehyde in it. We've talked about this during season one, but that shit was crazy. This doesn't have anything to do with that. But there was a lot of things that happened as far as what was happening and how wine was being made and bringing it more into the mainstream. And there was an argument that in the 1970s, there was an argument in favor of using science to advance the flavor profile of wine, which you know I'm against, but there was an argument that using science to advance the flavor profile in wine would democratize the wine industry in a way that would bring a wine that tastes really expensive to a consumer who only wants to spend 15 or $20 a bottle. Now, from like a Ocasio-Cortez type of perspective, you know, this, my, my new wine deal, <laughs> sorry, these jokes are terrible, but also kind of funny. I see an argument for that, but I also don't see the argument and how to democratize wine as being the answer to that. I think the things that I do at Helen's and other local wine shops like Domain LA and Psychic Wines, we are really democratizing wine because we're giving you the ability to buy wine at a better price point in a more trustworthy way. But the argument that science agreed with augmenting wine is a really interesting one. And it kind of is how we got to present day because people were like, well, on the one hand, there's all these traits and characteristics of a wine that's deemed really expensive that we could then replicate in a wine that isn't as expensive. And there isn't really anything that wrong with it. And it won't make anyone that sick. So why don't we just do that? And I think for a long time that has really worked and been okay. And I understand if that still is what some people want to do and that's what's going to work. But I just want to go on the flip side of what makes wine expensive to what has made wine inexpensive. And it leads me to this notion of perceived value. There's a real thing called actual quality that I'm just calling it that. It's actual quality in wine versus the perception of quality. And this is a thing. And I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to. It's the idea that you taste a really expensive wine with a blindfold on and you taste a really inexpensive bottle of wine with a blindfold on and you have no idea what the value of each wine is. You're merely trying to like evaluate it based on taste. And I think the probability of an individual not necessarily being able to discern a like strong difference. Like I'm talking about general population, not someone like me, not a wine professional. Will they be able to taste the difference between something that's expensive and inexpensive? And then you take another sort of twist in the wild turn of that. You take people like scientists in the seventies who are taking really inexpensive wines, putting wood chips in it, adulterating them, which is probably the wrong word, but they're modifying them to mimic the flavors of more expensive wine. You then put the same blindfold on those same people and ask them to taste. Are they really, do they have a well-developed enough palate to taste the difference? Probably not. Let's put it this way. If someone made an amazing high prestige wine, but they charged $1 for it, 
would anybody think that the value of that wine should be more, that the wine should be more expensive? Or when they tasted it, would they be like, wow, that's a really good wine for $1. Now that's a really extreme example, but I think it comes down to the perceived value of quality versus knowing the cost of something and then assigning quality and value to it based on that. I mean, sidebar, you could talk about the same thing with designer goods, right? You perceive that something is nicer because it's a brand name that you recognize. But like I have shoes from a really famous designer that have fallen apart more quickly than shoes that cost a quarter of that price and they're not as comfortable. So like, did I just perceive that the quality of that shoe would be better because of the costs associated with it or am I paying for the brand? Anyway, it's a really complicated thing when you're talking about wine because it also feeds into the societal the societal sort of funnel of valuation and how we really navigate that. The other thing that really highlights how expensive something is is when you have a low yield and a high price of the land and that gets into terroir. Wines that can age are also generally more expensive um, and anything that is taken to auction. So wine auctions uh, like a Burgundy or a Bordeaux, and they're also pitted against each other. So Bordeaux versus Burgundy. This is two areas in France, one known for making cabs and Merlots, one for Pinot Noir. One is really like the id and the other's like the ego. One's more cerebral. The other one's more like factual. One's more like creed. Anyway, one is a little more aggressive and in your face and the other one's a little more nuanced, Bordeaux versus Burgundy, or it's like Napa versus Sonoma. There's numerous studies that I've kind of been dabbling into looking into because I'm really curious about that. There's a lot of studies on the general population who are not in the winemaking world who are not able to identify or enjoy expensive wine more than inexpensive wine. Now that I got to say, is just going to be one of those facts of life that never changes. But what I think would be interesting is if we take a step back and look at some more concrete examples of why certain things have value. And I want to take an example from France, and I want to take an example from Italy, and then let's take an example from California, and we can start to dissect it. What I would like to say before we launch into this is that more expensive wine doesn't always mean better. The most complicated thing about this argument is if you walked into a grocery store tomorrow, it doesn't mean that the wine is better if you pick the most expensive one off the shelf. I'm sure there's a $75 bottle of red that you could buy at some supermarket in Los Angeles. And then there's also a $5.99 bottle of red. What complicates this whole discussion is why is that more expensive bottle of wine, more expensive, probably probably because of some of the elements that I've talked to. But does that necessarily mean that there's a lot of quality inside of that bottle? And that's where I think it really all, all completely starts to fall apart. I would never take $100 and just spend it on a wine because it's expensive without knowing where it comes from and knowing that it's a true, pure expression of terroir. So it brings me to the dark side of what makes wine more expensive, and it is the marketing machines that are behind it. It's the hype. It's the demand of society for something that they know that they can recognize that also has an assigned value that therefore friends or people's friends 
know how much they spent for something. I'm not trying to make enemies, but I'll just give a few examples of what wines like that would be. Let's say a whispering angel. We've talked about it before, but I'll bring it up again. That's not an inexpensive wine for a casual rosé you might drink by the pool. It's not inexpensive. It's close to $30 a bottle, but there is a perceived value in there. While in my opinion, the quality is so terrible. Another one is a red wine called The Prisoner, Orrin Swift. People ask me about this wine all the time. Oh, but it's The Prisoner. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it the quality and the value and everything so high? And in my opinion, it's just not. It's not made with the same level of integrity as other California winemakers are making their wine. So these are just a few examples of how like marketing and expression of what people want you to think something is related to price drives value in your mind, but it's not necessarily true. When you go to France and you go to Burgundy, which uh, we've discussed in previous episodes is a really complicated area. I think a lot of people think that all Burgundy wines, all wines from Burgundy are really high in value. Some of them are expensive. Some of them are really expensive. And I think this is where you can see an example of two things. One, there is a reason why an Haute Côte de Bonne, which would be a wine made in the appellation of Haute Côte de Bonne, just spelled H-A-U-T, that's Haute Côte de Bonne, is less expensive than a wine that is made in Gevry Chambertin in the single vineyard plot of Clos Saint-Jacques. And that is because the terroir at Clos Saint-Jacques is so much better. It's on this beautiful mid to upper level part of the hill. It has amazing sun exposure. The soil complexity is out of this world and it will hand over fist, always make better expressions of Pinot Noir, always. That's not to say that Haute Côte de Bonne doesn't make amazing wine. And this is where value and quality need to be intrinsically linked. Because you can get amazing quality and value from Haute Côte de Bonne, but it's not at the same level of expression of Pinot Noir. The Clos Saint-Jacques will always command more money, no matter what, because the value of that land is more expensive. Another example would be if we went to Italy. We were talking about Barolo, and I think a good analogy would be Barolo is in Piedmont, and it's right next to another area called Barbaresco. They're side by side. They're sisters in winemaking regions, and they both make wine from the exact same grape varietal, Nebbiolo. But Hand over fist, Barolo will always be more expensive than Barbaresco. There are a couple of exceptions, I will say, especially when it comes to single vineyard sites for certain Barbaresco producers and depending on who those producers are. But that's another example of how elevated terroir is usually the thing that's going to command the top dollar. In California, what's really interesting about what's happening right now is you have kind of a very interesting AVA system and it doesn't necessarily have as much of a dictatorship over what winemakers are doing. And so there are winemakers that are priced based on their scarcity, who's making them and the quality level. Also the terroir, but those four things are slightly more equal. 
And I think that is a really interesting trend that we are going to dig in deeper as we excavate more of what is happening in our domestic wine market this season. Price man, price woman, price expensive. At the end of the day, here's what I would say. If you're coming into Helen's Wines or you're going into your local wine shop in whatever state you live in, you want to buy a bottle of wine, don't feel like you need to spend $50 for that bottle of wine to be amazing. I encourage people to buy at any price point they feel comfortable with and that you should be able to have an amazing bottle of wine, but they might not all have the same exact flavor profile. And so what is really challenging is people think that like, okay, a Bordeaux or a California Cab, these are some of the best wines in the world or a Barolo. These are like fuller body, more structure reds. And so that is their association with quality level. And when you come in and you want to spend $20, you might not get a wine that has the same flavor profile and expression, but you're still going to get a wine that's incredible quality. You just have to open your mind to a different flavor profile to a unique being. It's just like eating different cuisines of the world. Nobody wants to eat hamburgers every day of the week. I mean, some people might. Maybe some people have an addiction to In-N-Out. I always wonder about people who are like, have freaky, like I have to eat In-N-Out every day. Sidebar. But just things to think about. In the end, drink wine you love, support farmers, keep it local in your local wine shops. And I hope this helped at least excavate a little bit of the mysteries around what makes wine so expensive and why some of it is kind of crazy expensive. This is Helen from Helen's Wines, and this is Wine Face, my podcast. We are breaking everything down about wine and then building you back up to get out there into the world, conquer all those wine lists, shop like a bandit. You can follow me on Instagram at Helen's Wines. Also, please subscribe. Please rate and review. I would love to hear from you. Please show me your wine face anytime you're on Instagram. And we're out. Thank you.